Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Skullcast, the premier podcast about Berserk from the community at Skull Knight Net. I am your eternal host, Walter, and joining me today are Azil. Hey, everyone. Grail. Hey, everybody. And Gobola Tula. Hello. We are back to discuss episode 369. Nice. Next episode is the, uh, finishes up the Elf Island chapter. So we'll get there. Uh, a little bit of news at the top of the show. The next wing of the exhibition, I've been talking about this for two months now. Uh, it's the Ginza, which is in Tokyo. That kicks off September 21st, so about two weeks from now. Uh, and it goes till October 4th. There have been no additional dates beyond that, which is only notable because this is now a year since they kicked off the exhibition. It was last September, and that began in Tokyo. So here they are a year later in Tokyo. So kind of feels like writing's on the wall. This could be it. I hope not, because I still can't get into the country yet. Mm. I think that they, they would say so if it was the last one. Mm-hmm. And it might be that the next one is going to be the last one. It might be that this one will be the last one. It also makes sense in that it's back to Tokyo, right? But uh, yeah, I hope not because the borders are still closed and we still aren't able to go. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. The other piece of news I would say is happening on the Patreon. I know a lot of people have been waiting for this, and some of you that are not subscribed to the Patreon might not know, but Puella has begun translating that big interview at the back of the uh, catalog from the exhibition. That's the last interview with Mira. So uh, Puella has begun that. The first part is now live. Azil, uh, what can people expect from that uh, moving forward? Well, it's a pretty big one, so it's going to take uh, several months to, to get through. But uh, yeah, it's uh, Mira goes over a lot of things, uh, not just Berserk, but his various inspirations he, he liked to do, uh, his interest in, for example, r- Roboto anime. So it's like mecha anime. Um, you know, he goes back to some of some designs he did in the early 2000s. It's uh, it's pretty comprehensive. It's six big pages. So yeah, very interesting. And after that, of course, we'll go back to other interviews. The one with uh, personal developers is also quite long and comprehensive. And the format that Poila is re- releasing those is one page per update. Is that right? No, no, because those pages are really huge. I was going to say, because page one was the first update, and it's kind of a short page. I was like, oh, she's going to do one page per update. No, no. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I forgot how much she does. It's something okay. like... Some six, portion. Six, some, that's the only reason I was words uh, each time. So okay. it's like uh, twice a month, plus like translating the episodes as they come out, plus some of the Got stuff. Got it. Yeah. And those pages, by the way, they are dense. Like those are... The catalog itself is large, large format. And the pages are quite large. It is because it's only like a catalog for the exhibition, like you find in a museum, basically just cataloging what works are exposed. It is, there's a lot of stuff in there, but every time I look at it, I'm like, man, they left so much stuff out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I could, you know, you could make like five books like this to just like have what needs to be done uh, for as far as, you know, art books for Mira's work. So yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows the subtitle of this podcast is art book complaints. So <laughs> we, we could, we could yeah. definitely like think about ways that we can make that, that better. Like the, my understanding of the way that the catalog goes through, it does sort of go chronologically, yeah. but it doesn't give each portion of the series equal weight. 
like Black Swordsman might get three pages and then Golden Age gets six and then Millennium Falcon gets like 60, for example, <laughs> that kind of thing. It kind of goes quickly through through everything. And again, it's just a, a matter of like how much stuff they could put in the in the exhibition hall. It's just, it's not that huge. I mean, and at the same time, I say that it's like 250 uh, works of art. So yeah. it's not small. Like, you know, it's not like 50 or 20 or something. It's like over 200. And many of them, and that's a big attraction, is that over uh, 150 are the actual original paintings or drawings and not just reproductions. Ah, so, so cool. Yeah, that's the thing. You go there and you can actually see like the brush strokes, yeah. uh, the paint strokes, the stuff like the stuff you don't usually see. For example, on manga pages, you see that he's, uh, he uses like a black marker to black out parts. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, the, wow. Yeah, at the time, because he wasn't like, for example, for a huge black sun on a page, for example, he wasn't going to ink that with, with a pen. You know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. He, he used a marker to, to black it out. And then, like, you have to think that it was before computer systems were prevalent. So I don't exactly know how they managed to, like, enhance the contrast to make it full black, but they did. And so on the page, you don't see the difference when it's printed in the, in the tanker bond. So, yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff you can see there that really kicks your ass. And that also, uh, is, uh, how to say, you can see in the reproductions they're selling. But again, for now, it's only, on site at the exhibition, so we're screwed until they open the damn border. <laughs> yeah. And to be clear, they are lightening the borders, but it still requires a tour guide. Yeah. And you still have to have an itinerary that is governed by that tour guide company. Yeah. You can't go off solo. That's, to me, that's what holds it up from me going, personally. Well, yeah, because, I mean, going through, like, a touring agency is like... The cost probably doubles or something. Oh, at least. And you wouldn't be getting what you want because if what you want is, is certain attractions and and the ability to go see this exhibition, it's possible that none of that would have been on the table, you know, depending on the tour agency you go with. So Yeah, unless you go like to some small thing and they do they, they basically do a custom thing for you, but then you're going to be paying like 10 mm-hmm. grand for it, which is honestly kind of yeah. ridiculous. Not going to happen. Yeah. Yep, it's a bummer. But thanks for the update. Looking forward to those. That was really cool to see page one and looking forward to the rest as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's really very comprehensive. So, And the only other piece of news is that there will be a Berserk Cafe launching in October through uh, November uh, in Japan, of course. If you've not heard of these or if this seems like a really random thing, it's actually pretty common in Japan to have anime, video game, manga themed cafes for a short time and... What they do is they have, uh, you know, specialized menu items themed after the series that they are you know, named after. Like, I think there's a permanent Dragon Quest cafe where you can get like slime jelly as an example. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like obvious jokey stuff like that and uh, some memorabilia and pictures around the cafe. And they're kind of like what we call pop-up shops here in the U.S. where it's there for a short period of time and then it rotates out to something else. Yeah, yeah, they call them Collabo Cafe from Collaboration. Mm. And yeah, like you said, it's super common. And it seems so, like you say, it's going to be open from October 7th to November 20th. And um, it's going to be like, it seems to be an establishment. It's across the street from Hakusensha's uh, office building. Oh, It seems to be something they bought in like April or May of this year. There was a... An, 
a noodle shop there that closed and they seem to have scooped it up and they've been rotating their series ever since. So they started with, I think, uh, Yona of the Down and you're gonna you're gonna just say series names and I'm gonna be like, mm-hmm. Well, I've heard of that. That's the only one I, I saw that was there and the only one I checked and the only one I know of, so <laughs> that's the only okay. one I'm gonna say. And now what yeah. What would a Futari Echi themed uh, Futari, restaurant? Oh uh, you know, it's very likely they'll do a Futari Echi one. I mean mm-hmm. like Berserk makes sense. You know, so you know the Don is from uh, Hanato Yume. Which is like the main magazine Hakushensa has. It's a shoujo manga magazine. Sure. Then they're doing Young Animal, and I mean, it makes sense for it to be Berserk, right? Right. So, yeah. but yeah. The star of the show. Yeah, after that, probably, yeah, probably uh, Futariechi would make sense. Maybe one of their current popular series. Of course, uh, Sangotsu no Lion. I mean, that, that just, you know, makes sense. Oh, yeah. Sure. So, and that makes like triple sense. For it to be a cafe, since there's such a focus on food and stuff like that, so and, and I was gonna say, yeah, she's great yeah. at drawing food. Yeah, I mean that's um, like her main skill, even beyond manga. So yeah. Anyway, uh, and yeah, like you said, it's going to be like food, drinks, uh, and some merchandise you can purchase. But you've got to be a customer. You've got to get reservations. It's pretty <laughs> pretty strict. Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine what the berserk items would be like. The first obvious one is like egg of the king, right? Yeah. It's just like an omelet, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, has some faces or eye parts in it, right? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be stuff like that. You're going to have like some red drink that's going to be bloody tears or something. Oh, red lake, red lake, uh, slurpee yeah. or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's exactly. Sacrifice sake. It's going to be, going to be that kind of stuff. Um, although I'm not sure they serve alcohol actually. <laughs> so, but. Oh. Okay. But yeah, right. Different, probably different license permit and things like that for yeah. that. Yeah, well, the, the previous thing was like a izakaya, so they, they did have booze, but I'm not mm. sure about not sure about this. Anyway, yeah, it's going to be. I mean, if you're all nearby and you see the thing, probably cool to go, snap a few pictures, taste the food. But like I was uh, telling you earlier, I checked the what they've done for their first series they did, and it's really just like some like squirt meat. And you've got like a picture of the manga printed on some small piece of paper in front of it, and it's like, okay, oh boy, that's not wow. that's not like a big effort. <laughs> that's like so many- anybody. I could have done that at any restaurant. I could have just brought a printout of Berserk and put it <laughs> yeah. next to some meat. <laughs> pretty pretty you know, much Berserk. Pretty much. And I thought, I mean, I thought the food is like super good or anything like that. It's really like all these cafes like that. Uh, they're just about the experience, right? Yeah. So it's sure. the decoration. So this one's also, what's funny about it is it's in the basement. So it, mm. it's got no windows, basically. It's at, <laughs> it's at the B1 floor. So yeah, you access it through like some stairs from the street. Eh, I don't know. I'm not... Uh, uh, they'll probably have some Hirazawa music blasting for blood and guts for uh, all we know, uh, you know, uh, as you eat your food. Probably, yeah, probably something like that. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few pictures. I'm guessing the the stuff they'll be selling on the side will be like some of the things they did for the exhibition. Uh, you know, maybe a keychain or some of the acrylic uh, stuff. They sold like the smaller stuff. It's not probably not going to be anything crazy. Maybe some buried pendant from Art of War that they've been recycling for 20 years. That reminds me, the timing of it is a little strange, at least to me, because this uh, kicks off in um, October, yeah. three days after the exhibition ends in Ginza. Mm-hmm. So it's actually after the exhibition. 
Yeah, I kind of was like, hmm, is this a clue that the exhibition might, uh, like the, the Ginza one might be the last one, and then mm. they'll move on to this as like a transition, or is it just like in between, or is it something that's simply unrelated? Because they, they seem to have bought, I couldn't find like a press release or anything like that, but they really seem to have bought out the place and to have decided to to be doing this uh, forever from now on. So it's probable, even after this date, maybe in three years or something, there'll be another Bezek event there. Yeah, they do have an official website if you're interested. It's berserk hakasensha cafecom I'm looking at it right now. Not a lot of information, just times and such. So Yeah, for now, there's nothing really. It's, but it's part of something they are calling My Caraful Café. Mm. Which uh, yeah, is a pun on like character and wonderful, right. maybe something like that. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I mean they the, do love slamming those words together. Oh yeah, yeah, things. they love to compress stuff into like three syllables. It's mm-hmm. just yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Again, it's just a kind of a oh interesting kind of thing. But thought you guys might want to be uh, yeah. knowing. Want to know about that? Among the things we can't do because we can't go to Japan, <laughs> there's this now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's shine a big spotlight on it, of this thing that no one on this side of the country will ever see, or the world will ever see. See all of these things you can't have? Well, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I do expect some Twitter pictures to surface around the time of this. Yeah. Uh, I'll, just, I'll, I'll be looking for them, if anything. Uh, and if we find them, we'll post them on the forum. Yeah, and we've got some members in Japan uh, on net, So, yep. yeah, maybe they'll go. Yep. With that, we'll turn to uh, the episode summary, 369. It starts kind of where we left off. The island is still in the process of being destroyed. We see Farnese and Shirke. They are next to the stairs of the house. They're calling out to Guts, trying to make sure that he's okay, but he's somewhere else. Uh, we see a shot of Puck looking at everything being destroyed. We get these little vignettes as uh, the island is flooded and sinks. We see shots of the group, the, uh, the um, magic users and the magicians, and some of the elves are fleeing to higher ground as Guts uh, laments that he could not strike Griffith. Uh, the Skull Knight is still fighting the Ooze Dudes uh, on the mainland, I guess. And then we see an overhead shot of the island, uh, along with visuals of the Four Cardinal spell, destroying the Ooze Dudes on the land, along with the Ooze Dudes being de- destroyed by the sea. Roderick makes it back, clutching the hand of his shipmates as he's pulled on the board. And they start throwing items into the sea so that their, cr- their crew in the water can hold on to something and survive it as the Island sinks further in. Uh, what's left is a crescent-shaped island with everyone surviving on top as they overlook the wreckage. And then Danon starts glowing. Isma starts glowing as well. And then she disappears completely, leaving behind her clothes. Uh, for for Danon, she leaves behind her, her broom slash staff. Uh, then the elves begin disappearing, uh, along with Pickpock, Puck, etc. Not Puck, excuse me. Pickpock, all of his brethren... And all the elves, including the Marrows, vanish. Uh, then we're left with a scene of Guts leaning on the Dragon Slayer uh, silently as we see Zod, Griffith, Casca streak through the sky in and out of the world spiral trees, branches, weirdly. That's the end of the episode. A real big downer in terms of what happened, in terms of where our main characters are left, and a lot of unanswered questions for kind of across the board. Uh, due to what was or was not shown. 
I wanted to talk instead of opening up to general impressions and, and like immediately, I wanted to talk about like the cold, hard facts of what happened here and what it could immediately mean. The first to me is, of course, the disappearance of the elves was a huge surprise. Apparently, as a result of the island's collapse, I think we can I think we can presume that it's tied to the cherry tree itself. That's my guess because the entire structure of the island seemed like centered on it. It was a very important element of the island, right? Uh, so that's that's my, my that's my supposition. What else would it be? And the tree is the first thing to like fall in the sinkhole. Yes, mm-hmm. and take some time, and um, eventually the elves, as a result, disappear, which is strange. Uh, Guts is left with no support because Puck is gone and Casca is gone. His enemy is gone and kind of, you know, like my other big takeaway here, and it's kind of, it's a little subliminal, I think, but it's been there the past few episodes. And that is that, you know, Guts' whole life is, you know, the sword and his sword was just rendered completely useless against his greatest enemy. And he was unable to prevent him from taking Casca. So I don't, this is a, this is a difficult hole for him to climb out of because, you know, the next thought is, well, I'll just go chase her, you know, but he knows. And then what, you know, what, so what will get guts out of that hole? That's another big note here in this episode. And the sequence of episodes is how does guts climb back out? Because we know he will, this is the inevitable dark part as he, you know, reassembles himself and commits himself to rescuing Casca and going to Falcone and to take Griffith down once and for all. How that happens, I don't know. I'm not a storyteller necessarily, but so the elves disappear. Big surprise. What happens with guts next? Uh, and the other thing is like the hero, the the cast themselves. What are we left with? What scraps do we still have in our hands to you know surmise what's going to happen next? Because if the elves are gone and Danon is gone and presumably Hanar is gone as well, it doesn't leave a lot mm. from their whole journey here at all. Yeah. Big turn of events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the first thing that came to mind, seeing the, the situation we've got at the end, is that it, it's a, kind of a throwback to volume 16, when, you know, he's in the woods, the ghosts are around him, taunting him, and he just falls on the ground and extends his hand, and there's like Femto, far away, untouchable, unreachable, and he's just groveling on, on the floor, being destroyed basically by by really losers by nothing nothingness right so and the idea is that what he's been doing for two years just killing apostles randomly that kind of life of revenge has been pointless and completely futile and that's at that point that he's like he goes back uh he's got of course that encounter with the warrior and chain knights but he's got this realization that casca's in danger and casca was actually the most important thing he had left and that he should refocus his efforts. And now that's been taken. So that whole quest, that whole journey, uh, that purpose he had is gone. Uh, and, and he also has been again shown to be completely powerless against his adversary. So it's a, it's a very uniquely hopeless situation for him. Uh, and he's also halfway across the world, very far away from, from them. So it's not like, He's got a lot of options. Uh, it's going to be, I'm very curious to see how things are going to proceed from now on. Especially since, like you mentioned, stuff that we weren't promised, but at least we felt like there was a possibility of it, like Hana looking at Yamor. Because the last time we saw Guts uh, dealing with Yamor in, in episode 264, 
we saw that his body had deteriorated pretty severely. Yeah. And so how oh, that's going to go? I mean, it's not going to get better if he just keeps using the armor kind of randomly like he, like he has been doing so far. And again, I mean, that didn't help at all against Griffiths. So, yeah. And well, it wasn't even used against Griffith, really. Yeah. Um, I do think one of the well, this is something we'll, we'll talk about in the next episode once we see exactly how the chapter of Elf Island is concluded. Mm. But among the things of uh, among the expectations that we had about their arrival here was that the armor would be dealt with, uh, that guts would find a way to either overcome or compensate or become more harmonious with the way the armor worked and the way it deteriorated his body. You know, something, some kind of additional realization or a technique or something Mm. that would make that, you know, what's the word, um, sustainable through the end of his journey. But that never got addressed. Not even, not even a hint really about it. Yeah. The secret sauce was ended up being the ooze or the NARS. And they faded away. Um, So, yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to start with what actually happened what that means. And then, of course, you know, now we can take it wherever we want to go. Uh, what'd <laughs> you guys think of uh, 369? Well, <laughs> parts of it were difficult to follow. I was really shocked that the, the NARS or the ooze ended up kind of being a, a kind of fell flat for me in terms of the threat that it was presenting to the island. And the turn of events was just so abrupt. I I mean, we knew that something had to happen pretty, uh, a lot had to happen in a short amount of time, given that the, we had two episodes before the close of the chapter, but uh, now it just feels like it's like, whoa, okay. Uh, What, what's going to happen in the next chapter now? It just feels like the pacing has been a little bit uh, disjointed and, and uh, inconsistent. So I'm, a little bit apprehensive as to what the next episode will bring, but I am really interested in the idea of a flashback in the next mm. chapter. Oh, yeah. That's very optimistic to expect a flashback. Mm. I think that would be awesome. I, I, I really hope that's the case because I, I know you guys have been talking about that before, and I hope that that might uh, kind of bridge the connection between yeah. Geyseric maybe finding some sort of way to uh, – you know, talking about the previous God Hand, some way to defeat them, and then Skull Knight being the connection between that era and Guts and, and giving him what he needs to succeed. So that's my question. Yeah, the reason I, <laughs> the reason I, I, I keep thinking about the flashback personally, uh, for the beginning of the next chapter is that we saw that little, uh, glimpse of Geyseric's the death, basically, and the end of his empire. Right. Uh, we saw a connection between Danan and, and Geyseric's uh, lover. We saw that her grave was under the tree. We saw that with the destruction of the tree, uh, the elves disappeared. And so just to maybe go back on that a little bit, we don't actually know whether Puck is gone, but uh, from what we see, and specifically the fact the mirrors also disappear, it seems to hint at the fact every elf in the world is concerned and not just the denizens of the, of the island. Because the Meros weren't from the island and Isma, as we saw, uh, she was born on that solitary island far away from, from here. Uh, she had a human father, her mother gave birth to her and then she left. And so 
Like for her to be the first to disappear, it means, and then every other marrow means it's not just Danan and the people who lived in the tree. It's a lot of elves, even from far away. So my assumption is that every elf in the world is gone. And that would mean that the tree, of course, had a very specific role for them. And when you think back to uh, the fact the woman died, the fact she's buried there, the fact Dan looks exactly like her, you start thinking, hmm, maybe when she died, she did something. She was also like a priestess, a medium, and she was associated with a cherry tree. So mm-hmm. maybe she had a special connection. She was obviously a magician. She had a special connection to that tree. Maybe when she died... I don't know, she prayed or something, she went deep into the ethereal world and she was reborn and she created that gentle force that are elves and that made the world a kinder place. And yeah, for all of these reasons and the fact we were teased something about the ooze, like the knowers, uh, we were teased there was the original inhabitants of the island, they had these strange words towards gods. Uh, but then they just disappear like that. I was also very surprised. I expected something more with them, but no. I, I feel like that's honestly just a product of the continuation. Um, mm-hmm. Mori and the staff probably didn't know what to do with them. They just they might just have had that that simple thing like, well, something's going to happen. It's going to be like uh, the mega specters at Albion or whatever, and, and you know they executed it, but they don't know too much about it. And so, yeah, next chapter would be a good place to start. Have a, a flashback on, on what happened a thousand years ago, how the island was at the time, how Helfam was founded. Uh, and then from then you can go back to present time, Casca in Falconia. So it might be a while until we see our main characters again, after the next episode, obviously. Makes me think about Cheech a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, same. Lots of mentions of Cheech this uh, in the thread. It makes sense to think about them. Yeah, I mean the the idea with Cheech and uh, something I, I quote out pretty quickly is that uh, at that time uh, we see that in something we hadn't seen before, an elf can be tied to a plant. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, why not? It makes sense. Different from the spirits of wing, like Park uh, Piskis. So, and when the plant died, she also died. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, makes sense for it to also concern. At the time, I expected well, maybe Danan is tied to her tree, and if the tree dies, she also dies, and vice versa. It's a bit more surprising to me that every elf was impacted. Yeah. That's a big thing. It's it's not just Danan who 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 disappears. It's every elf equally the marrows. So that has to well, me big implications. That to me now, first of all, I completely agree that the expectation. It was that Danon is tied to the tree in some way. Uh, her name, you know, the sovereign of the uh, flower storm, yeah. uh, which mm-hmm. is associated with the tree itself. That's why we're making that presumption, just for those that were following. Um, now, yeah, because the tree died, I would expect, I think I even said, if the tree dies, I would expect Danon to die. I remember saying, like, what, what do we expect Griffith to do? What would be, like, three episodes ago? What would be a big deal? Well, if the tree died, that'd be a big deal, right? Yep. Mm. And Dana would probably go down with it. That's a bummer, but yeah. I expected Dana to die by the end of this chapter. The elves disappearing, to me, hints at the fact that either it's all the things we just discussed, meaning all elves are tied to that tree, therefore elves are gone, or Dana was sustaining their existence here, and because she's no longer has the power to do that, they have to go as well. Kind of like a domino effect kind of thing. 
yeah, it's also, I mean, the idea might be because it's not like the way it happens, the way they disappear. So what Danan says is, uh, we have to leave this world. It's, t- it's time to leave this world. Um, and if, if it's something I was saying right now to you guys, well, it's time for me to leave this world. It means I'm going <laughs> to croak, right? Mm-hmm. But because they're elves, ethereal being, and because, uh, Present world where human lives is uh, just one world, and there's the ethereal world, and there's the world of ideas. Uh, that's something you like. They could just have disappeared to some other place, and I mean, just like Flora herself, when she actually died, she didn't completely disappear. She still exists somewhere in the deep layers of the ethereal world because she was a very powerful witch. So. It's not like they're, it's not necessarily like they're gone for good, but still they're out of the world. And one of the thoughts I had is that this might have been part of some plan, uh, for Griffiths and the God Hand because elves in many ways, they are chaotic. They're also good. They help humans. They play tricks. They're light, uh, as far as the mood goes. And, you know, that ties into the concept of Barutas. Uh, they also are a force that is not easily, how to say, controllable by causality necessarily, which is something that feels like it re- specifically ties to humans. Causality as a concept is pretty close to karma in the context of berserk, you know, Inga. It's, uh, originated from, from Buddhism. So it's a very, it's a it's kind of a thing where, uh, the way it's presented is, you know, destiny, deals you bad cards and through causality you overwhelms it uh, that's how it's presented uh, in volume 5 that's how it's presented by Void during the eclipse so all of these concepts are kind of at odds with elves and it feels like well we are seeing that Geyseric's lover was kind of related to Danan they were obviously not on the side of the gold hand a thousand years ago. Uh, you see this stuff, you have the idea, or at least I've had that idea that probably the end goal of the gold hand and their, their god, the god they serve, is going to be a kind of society where there's no free will, where it's very deterministic. Goes back to episode 83, really, which is uh, giving people reason for the pain and shitty lives they have. And if that's just because God decrease it and that's it for everyone well you know that's what it is so yeah as a kind of a counter with that and uh yeah when you think back to it an idea i had is just well a world without elves feels proper for what you would call the edge of darkness right right taking out the competition i think the thing that freaks me out most about that idea that you've just been describing as is the possibility that elves might not be as ancient as we thought they were, mm-hmm. or the you know, yeah, you know that they they could be taken out in one fell swoop like that. It's mm-hmm. a lot to take in. Yeah, was it created by human? Was it created by a person? Did mm-hmm. that woman? Is what I said in my big post in the thread. Did she like go and gave form to an idea? Uh, you know, a, a concept from from that deepest. Uh, place uh, in in these those realms where like the origin of concepts uh, belongs. Did she go there and and manifest these beings uh, to to make the world a better place? As she died, I don't know. Maybe who knows? And and yeah, and the fact they are gone now. When you think back to Fantasia, uh, it's something we we talked about a long time ago, but. 
Uh, now, right now for humans, the only way for most of them to survive is just uh, gathering in, Fal in Falconia and counting on apostles and on Griffiths to save their asses uh, because they are defeating these creatures. But if you think back to a world where witches and magic users are more prevalent, uh, it's very different. And when you think about elves, you know, elves can cure people. Think about Chich, think about Puck. They are mischievous, but they're also good-natured. Uh, you look at the Meros, they're the ones who imprisoned the sea god a long time ago. They're the ones who went to war with it and basically saved the ocean from it. So wow. these are good beings who have a, an impact on the world that is good. And they're on human side, in a way. Uh, not, of course, as far as warring goes and that kind of stuff, but still. So you feel like you remove that stuff. It really goes back to there's, now there's only apostles and it's only... Like you, you want to survive, you want to fight back against these evil creatures, well, you gotta use Griffiths. And the thing is, like we saw in the Cliffhoffs, Slan could just snap her fingers, not even, in fact, and she gave birth to augurs and that kind of stuff. And you're like, hmm, are we in a situation where it's really uh, like everything is pre-planned, the game is all fucked, and basically... Griffith's little buddies are sending in these monsters uh, while the apostles are beating them. And it's just, you know what I mean? From the beginning, all is planned to subjugate humanity completely uh, to, to that. Uh, I mean, those guys. Yeah. I, uh, I sent an image in the chat. And for those that obviously aren't here present, uh, it's a picture of the lady medium of the cherry blossoms and from episode 362 as she reaches up to hold guys Eric as she's dying it's that two page spread for her. the only look at her we get the pre Danon obviously uh, and she has two things that are interesting we're talking about Danon possibly having died and when she came back uh, brought elves with her that's the that's the concept that's the theory we're talking about right now uh, but on her necklace it looks like a, an elf you know it looks like some kind of jewelry fashioned after ultimately like a, a vision of what she would become because it has the yeah. dual antenna coming out of her forehead. She has the wings that are beautiful. She's wearing a robe uh, and she has something similar on her head as well. Uh, it looks like butterfly wings uh, with a kind of a feathery motif or leaf motif is what it looks like. So it was natural winged creatures. Now were those just like ideas she had fancied ideas in her head in her head. And then she was able to bring those back because of something that she did behind the scenes in the afterlife, you know? I think it's an interesting uh, mm. consideration, but no proof, no proof at all. Just her jewelry, pre, uh, predating elves, perhaps. Did elves exist before that moment, or was that her vision of what a creature like that might be? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. One thing to, to remember is at the time, I really personally struggled with the idea that the woman was Danan because... Like, and, you know, she wouldn't have changed or was her mother and something. Because I was like, it would be odd for a human yeah. to just have sex with an elf and, and have an elven sure. offspring. Like, it's different species, different types of beings, that kind of stuff. Then we learned in episode 363 that Meryl's are elves. And that was kind of a huge deal for me at the time. Because I was like, okay, so that means Isma, who has a human father, is actually... Yose, so hmm. an elf. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, so maybe this changes stuff. Maybe Danan could actually be Geyserik's daughter. Well, At the same time, she does look exactly like her, the woman. So I do still like my idea of a reincarnation, basically. But 
It's kind of it's kind of hard to say. It's uh... well, hang on. Let me interject real quick, if you don't mind. Sure. A uh, thousand years ago, right? A thousand year ceremony. Uh, what happened in the, in the incarnation ceremony? Uh, heavenly being given a fleshly body. Uh, not sure. Not sure at all. What do you mean? I'm not sure. I'm not sure the event for a thousand years ago was exactly like the one we saw with Femto. No, no. I'm just. I'm just saying brass tacks. What actually happened with this ceremony that we know about oh, yeah. was that Femto, a being, a, you know, a giant astral being, his essence was shoved into a physical body. Yeah. Uh, what if in this scenario, what we have is the fleshly body is Danon's body, but the being that inhabits it is is different. That would mean that Danon walks around looking like Danon and resembles who Skull Knight once knew as Danon, or, you know, the, the woman, the lady of the cherry blossoms. But who she is, is some kind of spirit from deep in the astral world who is the sovereign of the elves. Mm. Kind well, of both. The only problem I have with that is that the incarnation ceremony seemed to be uh, <laughs> something that's not very good. So, <laughs> yeah, I totally. I don't it's know also the fact that this lady of the cherry blossoms is, is branded as well. Yeah, yeah, she gets she gets sacrificed along mm-hmm. with Geyseric and along with the land. We see that there's a big burning brand on the background. Yep. So, but yeah, there's, there's I mean, it goes back to the fact we know nothing about these events, and it's very difficult to speculate about what went on. I think what's clear is that, and the reason Mura really kept these cards close to his chest is when we're gonna learn about it is probably when the whole plan is going to become clear mm-hmm. because it's pretty, it seems obvious to me and it has been for a long time that Void is the architect of the plan. I I mean, I, I speculated a long time ago and I still like that idea that he was the first member of the Golden Hand and he's the one that's been kind of intent on fulfilling whatever he plans. Uh, since we saw there was a, a proto Gold Hand before the current one, might be possible he was not the first. We'll see. But either way, uh, they have a plan. He's the architect of it. He's the one that's kind of pulling the strings. Meanwhile, Femto, incarnated as Griffiths, is kind of the vanguard, the like the star player, basically. So it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic between them, really, where you have the main actor of the play and you've got the director behind the curtain just uh, smiling with his... Uh, Ugly green and yeah, just looking at things <laughs> like hmm. <laughs> the audience is reacting just as I planned. <laughs> but regarding learning more about who Danon was, what all that happens, I think it's I, I don't know. I don't have any what's the word? There's no promise that we'll ever learn those things, given yeah. the current structure of the the way the series is being told now. Right. Uh I don't I don't I don't have any feeling at all that that we will learn those things. They yeah. might not have the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was about to say, I've fallen straight into the trap, the same trap I did last time, even though I knew it was a trap, which is that I'm just blabbering about speculation based on stuff that might turn out to be nothing. Uh, like the Norse, where we were like, I mean, they felt like such a big thing and ended up being nothing at all. And that's clearly, again... Uh, a product of the fact the the staff doesn't know what to do. Mori probably doesn't know what to do with them. So we might not get a flashback. We might well, I don't it. know. Like similar to how I'd picked on in 365 and 66, there's never even really there's one little hint about the armor 
like tempting guts, right? A little bit in the very beginning of it, but yeah. never again. And my thought was, if he ever was going to activate the armor, that would be that would be portrayed as more of a struggle. But because he wasn't struggling with it, I mean, to me, it was already like basically a tell that he was never going to use the armor. So just as a precedent, when the Gnawers start talking to Guts and seemingly leaving him alone, to me, that's like an invitation. Like, oh, they're going to do something with these things. They're talking to him, referring to him as Sacrifice Son. Like, what? Huh? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're leaving him seemingly leaving guts alone, what's that about? So it's like you're 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 beginning a conversation that I'm interested in, but there's nothing that happened with that conversation. It just ends. So my point is, if they were gonna do something with it, <laughs> why if they're not gonna do something with it, why even bother starting with those two somewhat intriguing details, you know? I guess it was because Mira gave Mori those details, but then didn't extrapolate mm. on them, mm. and that was what they were left with. So that's kind of the the conundrum that we keep coming up with with this continuation is that they keep uh, writing checks, but they can't cash them uh, mm. in terms of the narrative. At least that's my that's my speculation based on what we've seen so far. Yeah, I um, honestly um. I'm not even sure. It's just, you know, I think back to Isidro and the Skull Knight, which I really kind of went into last time on, on the last podcast because I thought it was really like a bad depiction for both characters. And you look at this episode and you see that Isidro is actually leading people to safety. He's he's at the top, I mean, at the forefront. So he's just running away with the refugees, basically leading them uh, on high ground because everything is sinking. And then you see the Skull Knight is just slashing at the ooze. And so Isidro was saying he would stay and fight and so on. But in the end, he's just running away, basically. Yeah. Uh, right. That that scene invites the possibility of a showdown. It yeah. never happens. And then the Skull Knight, who comes to the island, who say he's there because causality has yet to converge, who's... Mm-hmm. He's got his sword technique. I mean, he could slash the ground and like send all that shit down to the vortex. He could be doing something like that, but he does not bother with it. And instead, he's just slashing at, like, basically at water. I mean, at fluids that doesn't, like, slashing at it doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I understand that they wanted to show he's there doing something, but by showing this, you're like, What's the point, you know? So I, I do think a lot of these shots, including maybe even the ooze, uh, its interaction with Guts, might just be trying to fill the gaps, trying to make a continuity based on very only loosely told and loosely understood concepts. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I do really hope that we get a flashback and we get an, an explanation about the, the ooze and why it talked to Guts like that. At the same time, at this point, I'm just very cautious in what I think about and expect because, I mean, so far we've seen, we see stuff, we're like, huh, I mean, it's most likely going to be this, and then it's not addressed at all, and you're like, okay, yeah, wow. Exactly. Wow, all right. It's, it's, a, it's a gut punch. Uh, yeah. No pun intended. It's just mm-hmm. not. Uh, it hurts uh, to, to get excited about something, to be like, oh, this ex- the excitement I have for this is actually pulling me out of this funk. Like, awesome. And then they just don't do anything with it. Like, oh, you know, what was I even trying to do here? Sorry, Gobs. I was thinking about Roderick in the previous episode and how his scene ended with him going, oh, Farnese, and how that was kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. And 
we get to this episode and it's he like absolutely nothing happened. He ran away. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we even don't know, it's funny, we even don't know who he gets out of the pinch because as you you know highlighted last time, Walter, he's actually they're surrounded. Yeah. So I thought Azan would come. I mean, it makes sense. Azan's faced these things before. Yeah. Maybe he's like, fuck it, I got Z- this. Jumps Z- in with the actually, staff. Actually, so I can't help it. So in my head, I was like, how would this really have happened with Mira? I mean, you mm. know Azan. These guys would be, oh, what are we going to do? Then you see the thing jumping at Roderick or something. And then fucking smashed by Azan's staff. And he's like, yep. this time, you know, I've got to yeah. protect. And then he's like <laughs> doing his whirlwind attack and just fucking these things up. Because oh, they're, man. They're, and because it's like I said, like they're not like the danger is uh, the numbers, the amount of it. It's like a black wave covering the, the, the sea. It's actually something I I kind of envisioned with Conrad and the rats, if you remember. There's a mm-hmm. black wave covering everything. That's something that's like really calamitous. You can't you can't fight it. But individually, like in small amounts, they're not very dangerous. Isiro could have taken them. Azan mm-hmm. could take them. So it wouldn't make sense. And then they've got, Roderick even mentions it here. It's like they're vulnerable to fire. Something again we saw in Albion. All of it makes sense. It's easy to do, easy to understand. So it could, it could have been a case like that. But yeah, I don't know. They didn't, again, they probably felt like we're not sure of it. I mean, honestly, I, actually, I even can't speculate. It's useless to speculate about what they thought. Well, just because it's not surmountable, just because they are, uh, and you can't defeat them, doesn't mean you can't do something cool with that. Like, for example, Azan jumps in and he's fighting them, not to beat them, but to buy time for the yeah. shipmates to get to the ship. Sure, and that's still a scene back. you could do, you know? Yeah, of course. The idea would be to hold them back. Same with Pesidro. Yes. He, like, he starts... Uh, Cutting, like hitting the ground with his dagger, putting mm-hmm. fire on the grass. There's cool a, shit. There's cool yeah, shit. Starting a huge grass fire. Then you've got uh, the magicians in the like they're in the forest. They're kind of panicking, like the students. They're, they're too young. So you've got a few of the elder guru who are like raising walls of earth or whatever. Suddenly, <laughs> mixing arrives and Volva is there, and she's got like ten. Gigantic wicker men <laughs> on fire. Giant skeleton. Yeah, <laughs> they're just you know on fire, and they're like, and you've got Molda with her, and she's like, oh my gosh, the wicker men would have been great right here. Yeah, I mean they're yeah. they're they're fire puppets. Yeah. What what better use for them than to hold back this shit? And so all these things, and then of course you've got like the four great, great gurus, which. I mean, we saw that Ged could just make it rain by not even snapping his fingers. Oh, know, my God. By picking his yeah, nose. Yeah, seriously. So, I didn't even think about the fact that he could have just made a rainstorm like that. And yeah. then they're immune. They're, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the idea should have been that despite the calamities, these guys are like, all right, they are handling it. And that's why they survive. Instead of just, come quick, run to high ground and just outrun the things. And, but yeah. And, and again, I mean, you can think about, well, they didn't want to show some things they didn't know. They're still showing it in the end. They're still showing it. Instead of what they're showing is, uh, somebody's casting the formation of the four cardinal points, which as I highlighted is like a beginner spell. That's a rite of passage. When you load magic, it's something foreign. They learned in three months. As an adult, mm-hmm. so you've got these magicians who have been there for like a thousand years, and the best they can do is casting this spell. It's honestly, it's pretty. I mean, it's an effective spell. Yeah, it's a great right? spell. I agree with it, but it's like I know 
Yeah, that's it. It's, and it's it's one of those it's another one of those things where it makes me think: Are they just going to use existing elements because they don't feel like they can introduce something new? So they use the old standby. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. Same I, with I, the Nawars. The representation of the Nawars was yeah. it always going to be exactly like and we saw also, in Opium? Yeah, because it's also it's funny. It's it's similar, but but actually quite different from Homura Druzem. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that on purpose or is that just because like lack of skills? And mm-hmm. could be. Again Don't and know. again, I mean, going back to what we are saying. It's not like this stuff was, like, they didn't have direction for that. They obviously, like, they're just filling in the gaps. So it works when you show, like, the throne room crumbling, the, the mm-hmm. mushroom grove uh, or cove uh, getting getting uh, flooded. That stuff works, right? But when you start yeah. showing, when you start showing characters doing something that's, like, for example, the scholar, it's presented as cool, but actually ineffective. It's generic. Yeah, it kind of makes them pathetic, you know? Like, the Skull Knight, if you look at every apparition he does, he's, like, either dropping, like, fucking bombs on guts, like, the eclipse is going to happen <laughs> again. It's going to happen again. It's like, what the fuck? Or he's like, yeah, actually, you know, your, your girlfriend, I didn't tell you, but she can actually be cured. Sure, no problem. Mm-hmm. Just got to get to the island. Oh, by the way, you're going you're gonna to see Griffiths on the way. He's just around the corner, actually. He's just like, bam. Or then he comes and he's like, there's three apostles and he just fucks them up. They're falling pieces on the ground. That's something that's cool. But just showing him, like, doing something that doesn't matter, that's exactly like the antithesis of what his character is. Mura never so- shows him doing something that doesn't matter. I guess the question is, I think both of us uh, came into this continuation uh, feeling grateful that they weren't going to write anything that they didn't know. Now, would you prefer that they fill in the blanks with like the bare minimum of them thinking like, okay, Azan should do something cool. uh, Skull Knight should do something meaningful and like make something up like, like, oh, wouldn't this be cool? That's, like those kind of ideas, or that's, that's a great question. Actually, we've had these. You know, some people have been having this debate on the, on the forum. Some people are like, yeah. "Well, they should just be unleash their creativity and do stuff." I'm gonna tell you, the problem is I don't trust them. It's not I have nothing against Mori and and the Studio Gaga guys, whether it's Kurosaki or Sugimoto or any of them. I mean, I'm sure they are dedicated. I'm sure they've got the, the best intentions in mind. The problem is, I don't, much like, like, the people who listen to us probably don't want to see my version of Berserk, you know? I because, do. like, yeah, I mean, okay, but, or Walter's version or whatever, or Glaze version. But the point is, we're just guys, right? We're just mm-hmm. some guys. It's not Mura. And the same way that Kurosaki isn't Mura, Mori isn't Mura, they have some, some kind of nuggets of information. I don't want to see, I prefer less than, than more, basically. That's my point. And in that regard, I do think Pola, who posted in the thread about it, had a really great, uh, insight, which is the best way to take this is really as just illustrations, fancy illustrations, maybe a bit like, uh, how to say, uh, bullet points. Yeah, yeah. There's just there's, there's too much of them, but still, they're just illustration of the bullet points. So you yeah. can. T- yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Greg. 
I was, I was just going to say that I, I really liked uh, Paula's post on the forum about this. I, I don't know if I have the, the mental capacity or the will to, to actually enact this, but I'm really going to try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's, it takes a, lot of, uh, takes a lot of will, I feel like, to do that. Yeah, it's a, that's a problem. And that's also the reason not many people are going to be doing it, uh, if we're honest, like... I don't want to offend people, but the casual readers, and I'm, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, <laughs> the, the people who just read the story like that and then go read Boruto or whatever. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not, I'm not shitting on, you know, Shonen Jump series, but my point is just the people who just read it and don't care much are not going to make the mental effort of being like, okay, I'm going to like make an abstraction, try to take these episodes from a continuation, strip everything from them. Keep only the core, and then from that, I'm going to like reimagine the story uh, as Mira might have done it. That, that, that's like a huge effort, and obviously, it's what we're going to be trying to to do. Uh, probably, sorry, go ahead, finish. No, I was just gonna say probably starting with the, ne- the next chapter, once uh, once this one ends with with uh, episode 370, we're probably going to. To try and yeah, look at it from afar, strip away the, the fat and keep only the the, the muscle, but uh, or even the bones rather. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a big effort. I just I wonder if first of all, yes, I I agree with what Paula is saying, and that is how I've tended to view things. But the problem is that when you do that in your head, it's very ephemeral, and it's what we what we see on the page is how Berserk will be remembered. Period. Yeah. So there's a big dis- there's a big disconnect between us doing the math and us being pleased with having edited it in our heads and and maybe even write it in a forum post. But the future of Berserk is what we're seeing in these pages and these a lot of, all the chaff is getting away of the in the way of the signal. Yeah. And that's that's just how it is. You know, that's the physical manifestation of the the future of Berserk are these pages, uh, and you can't get around that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's true with that. I mean, despite our best efforts, uh, you can't. You can try to distillate and make something out of it, uh, like you said in a forum post. But at the end of the day, people who buy the volumes will be seeing that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hard to be satisfied with the state of things. But it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Right. I wanted to go through quick uh, over the main things that happen and we can just have some, not page by page, but event by event feedback on them. I don't want to get too bogged down in each one, so we'll just kind of skate over it a little bit. Uh, first, we see Shirke and Farnese are up there next to the treehouse. I mean, initially, it seemed like they'd fallen off into a cavern when the, the ground opened up, but maybe they crawled out because they're next, right next to that house. Um, so we know that they're okay. They didn't vanish. That's that's good. We haven't seen them in two episodes, but hey, a lot's been going on, right? Uh, but they're here now. Someone did point out that where they are is, by the end of this episode, completely submerged. So we see them on ground in the opening page, but by the last page, they are somewhere in the middle of the ocean, right? So I think what's going to be shown in the next episode is that Molda came to rescue them on her broom. Okay. She came with uh, with like two brooms and be like, "All right, let's go." And mm-hmm. she took she took Farnese and Shuruke flew on her own. The broom U-Haul crew. Nice. Yeah. We see guts down. It actually intercuts. I don't know why they do it that way, but it shows Farnese and Shuruke calling out to guts, right? And then we see guts, yes. and then we cut back to Shuruke as if he's hearing her. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
what's what's funny about this is that she's opening her mouth like she's screaming, but she's actually contacting him telepathically, so it's kind of uh Oh, I didn't notice the speech bubbles. Oh you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it's it's kind of funny that she's like, he's just <sighs> Yeah. Bitch, shut up, I can hear you. <laughs> yeah. Volume's full blast. <laughs> um the shot of Puck, it's I think it's the only shot of Puck we get. It's it's a little weird that this is when we see Puck. If you're going to use the Puck moment, I would expect it would be, hey, no no offense, Isma. I would expect if you wanted to make the disappearance of elves impactful, this is the guy you show disappearing, personally. Mm, yeah. He's going to have the most emotional resonance for the audience, I would bet. That's my bet. Yeah, I mean. Maybe that'll be next episode. But yeah, that would be weird. I agree with you. It has to be, right? They, they, they kept it for the next episode, yeah. What, whether it disappears... Or it shouldn't, strangely, not disappearing. But in any case, yeah, they've kept it for the next episode. Again, probably next because- episode he uses the Beherit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, holding it's... on to Betchy. Hey, as long as he's touching Betchy, he won't disappear. Yeah, there you who, go. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, what's what's? I I think when you look at the way everything is very disconnected, disjointed in this. In these five episodes, uh, I feel like they they felt they couldn't like do Isma, Danan, Elves, Puck, Ivarla. It's just, just too much stuff at once. They didn't know how to do it, so they just split it into two episodes, basically. It's really hard. Well, it's I mean, really hard. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's why, honestly, it's, uh, it's one of the things where you're like, yeah, when we say Mira was a genius... He was. Yeah, like, it's hard he to could he yeah, he was able to pack in like incredible events in such a short amount of time and still make everything meaningful yeah. like looking back on previous releases. So it's understandable that they're having trouble yeah. with that. You know, it's funny, I've seen people including on the forums that people say, Why don't these guys make more of an effort to make these things better? And I'm like <laughs> It's not like it's simple. Like, it's fucking oh, man. hard. It is hard. They are doing... Yeah. You can be sure they are doing their best. They're not sleeping at the wheel. They're not, like, skipping out the work. They are doing, no doubt, like, 100% on, on the art, on the paneling, on everything they can. And they are not... The reason they're not doing a great job is because Mira was really, really, really fucking good. It's like you walk into the gym... And you sit down at the uh, bench press thing, but there was like a really, really bulky guy before you, and you didn't bother checking what was on the, there. And you start lifting it, and you're like, oh, God, I'm going to die if you yeah. try to lift that thing. But they're trying Me to lift personally, it. personally, I add more weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. I'm yeah. just that good. <laughs> but yeah, Mira was like bench pressing 500. Yep. Oh, These yeah. These guys are trying newbies. To- it's yeah. uh yeah it's so that's that's why it's uh that's why they're doing it like that and that's why they've done the, the other stuff the way they did it and that's why when you see Isma disappear first then Danan then the other elves Hanar is there but he's just reacting he's not disappearing himself probably because they, they forgot that he's an elf it's these kind of uh. things where like they must have <laughs> Felt well, Isma is the one that's got the strongest connection. Isidro was that kind of thing. So we're going to do her first. Then we're going to do Danan. They didn't think that, well, Danan is actually the sovereign of the Flower Storm. She's the queen of the elves, most powerful one. She was inherently tied to the tree. She was like, she might be the reason things are disappearing because she's impacted by the tree. I mean, 
she should have been first or she mm -hmm. should have been last. She can't be second. Doesn't make sense. But again, like when the they were... The sequence could have actually informed us. If she disappeared first and then immediately all the elves kind of trickle out like in a big, you know, yeah. uh, cascade, then it would be informing us, oh, they fell because she fell. That yeah, it's like, a oh, catalyst. That's some, some context actually helps there. And, and actually showing Isma afterwards would have been more impactful. You see Danan... She's like, time for us to go. She disappears. People are like, oh, Dan Chan. And then suddenly <laughs> Smiley is like, oh, what's going on? And Isidro is shocked and she also vanishes in his arms. And it's like, mm -hmm. damn, it's actually more impactful that way. Uh, because right. you, like the reader, unless you pay attention to episode 263, which m most people probably did not about that detail when she says, I'm an elf too. It is a small little bubble. Yeah, it's a small thing. So most readers would be like, hmm, oh, wow, is Isma, she's an elf too? She's, yeah. oh, even the mirrors are, mermaids are disappearing. So it's, uh, yeah, I feel like it would be more impactful. But probably in the way they were doing it, they were like, mm hmm, Isma is like the most, the ones that's going to have the biggest, like, punch. So we were four. So actually, obviously, I don't know. In any case, they did like that. It's kind of clumsy and awkward, but, you know, what can you do? Hmm. Moving on, we, I mean, this, this was just talking about Puck uh, not disappearing on the page. Uh, we have these multiple shots of Guts as he's leaning on the Dragon Slayer, lamenting that he cannot land a hit on Griffith, presumably Griffith, obviously. Mm. Uh, not mentioning Casca, not mentioning I couldn't save her. Uh, the omission of that seems really strange to me. As I said, I think initially, uh, you could be like, oh, well, that's what he's saying implicitly. Is that he couldn't stop Griffith from taking her, but that the problem is that's not what he said. You know, there were many not options. Not even for... one hit. He's actually talking about banging Casca. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Zing. Twenty fucking years of waited and not even uh, once. Not even <laughs> once. T couldn't hit it. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the one. fact that he doesn't mention Casca <laughs> feels strange. Yeah. Off yeah. to me. Yeah, it, yeah, it's uh, it's very out of character for him, and it's last time I said as he was fighting Griffith, as he was maybe defeated, he he had like there were opportunities for him to be like, damn, after all that time, after all I did, I still can't. He's still out of my reach. I still can't reach him with my sword. He's in front mm -hmm. of me, and I still can't reach him. And that would beautifully echoes what he thought in the past that he was out of reach. Even in front of him, he's still out of his reach. He's still beyond the reach of his sword. So that would have been good then. And then as he fell into the hole, extending his hand as he saw Casca being taken away, he should have thought, I couldn't protect her, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. So it's, a, again, a strange choice. Uh, and that's also something like, it's not a line Mura told Mori or whatever. That's obviously something they, they made of themselves probably felt Guts had to think something at some point. But uh, yeah, it's a bit like, if you're going to start making these choices, at least make them properly, right? And I'm not a writer or a manga writer, but because his abilities are what failed him here, you know, and that his life on the sword has given him nothing here, you know, it completely failed. I don't know. I think it'd be a better visual if he wasn't leaning on the Dragon Slayer at the end, but actually like, Distancing himself from it, like saying, this, 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 fuck this, you know? 
Well, you are, I mean, that's, that's way beyond the scope of this. I mean, they're mm-hmm. already just showing, I mean, already showing what they're showing is probably an effort for them. So I, I don't know. Sure. If, I mean, I that, think symbolically, he leans on the sword for protection mm-hmm. and solace because that's his way, he, you know, that's the way he that's makes actually, it through life. So that's actually a strange thing is that he's, he's still sweating like hell and he seems out of breath. Like you've mm-hmm. got these speech bubbles where he's just saying, ah, ah, which is honestly, again, very odd. That's never, Mura never did this ever in the series. Like if you want to do a sound effect like that, you do it in uh, Hiragana and you do mm-hmm. it like not in speech bubbles. So I don't know why they're doing this, but. Well, I think I'm, I'm wrong here. I'm just going to say he's, he should be shown to be climbing out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exerting himself by climbing out, even though it's not actually clear that he's moving in any of these shots. But there's a one where you see, like, the sword is, yeah, the sword and his feet are hitting the ground. So it implies he's mm. climbing. I mean, Some, something's happening with the foot. Yeah, he just implies he's, like, <laughs> stepping or sure. something like that. Using it as, like, a walking stick moving forward, I, I guess. Yeah. But the thing is, even if you were doing that, that shouldn't be an exertion like what we're yeah. being shown. So it doesn't really make sense. It sounds like he's really exhausted. Uh, he hasn't done shit in the past three episodes. <laughs> yeah. So he's it's, been sitting there. It's kind of odd. And yeah, he gets like the next page. We don't actually see him get out of the of the, of the cave, but the next page he just falls on his knees again. Uh, yeah. The, the reason we know, like the main reason I could tell he moved is because there's no ooze around him anymore. Yeah, they just ignored him. Yeah, and you see on the wider page that the ground crumbles and he's actually like in a different place in the forest, back in the forest. We don't see how he could get out. We don't see anything. Just he got out and then it crumbles again. And then we get that very strange transition, which I have absolutely no idea what it means. I thought it was supposed to be the Skull Knight's sword slashing the air, but I'm not sure. It is. It's like ooze is there, and then Skull Knight slashing through it, and we're seeing him through the ooze. That's what I thought it was. So if you look at the paneling here, and I hate to be like the snobbish manga analyzer guy, but if you look at the <laughs> paneling, like this doesn't make sense. You can't show like that picture of guts and a wider shot of guts. Then you see that one, which is supposed to be a transition shot, and yeah. it's like on the bottom of that page. And then on the top, there's a skull knight. That's not, that's just not how do you, how you do it. Uh, that mm-hmm. one should be like at the top. And then you see the skull knight or something like that. Or it would make sense if like you see that shot and you see the skull knight cutting open like dimensions with a buried sword and he's grabbing guts. But the transition panel barely, barely looks like the zigzag of the beast of darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also I was like, is this just like symbolizing the ground breaking up or, but honestly, it doesn't really make sense. I thought, I even thought maybe they forgot to draw like the buried goo on the sword. And <laughs> they do mean because of, you know, the, um, the effect behind the skull light, maybe it's cutting through dimensions, but then again, the black stuff looks like the ooze. Yep. And, he, and he's not using his sword technique. And there's a speech bubble there as we see the throne room fall apart. Yeah, but that's probably that's probably good. So this speech bubble is kind of confusing because you don't know who's speaking it. And if you look at the way, the, the type of speech bubbles they used, it's the same one Puck uses. It's not the ones Shuki oh. uses. It's not Gus is using, he's like, his sword is not in a speech bubble. But it's the same one as, as Puck is using. However... 
because of the word in it, which is Akenaku, uh, it's basically what Paula told me, and I tend to think she's right. It's a shortened form of an expression that you can use when you've been ridiculously beaten, ridiculously mm. defeated by something. So basically ridiculously, and, uh, and it's probably got thinking that he was ridiculously yeah, beaten by, by Griffiths. Why even show Skull Knight? I think it's just to show he's there. Skull Knight oh, is there. And then you see, because, you know, like he's not connected to the rest. You see the Skull Knight, you see the throne room crumbling, you see the island sinking, then you see the uh, spells, the uh, formation of the four cardinal points, uh, which many people actually were very confused by. They even didn't know if it was a spell or not, apparently. so. Right, it was a nuclear blast. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean... Uh, yeah, honorable realist. I saw, saw someone says that. It's like, hey, you know, it's close to it's, it's close to it. Yeah. But it's supposed to resemble that for sure. But I mean, I can't Borealis, understand. this yeah. time of day. <laughs> <laughs> Contained entirely Steam, on the side. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, honestly, I mean, I, I don't blame people who are confused because you don't see who casts the spell. You don't yeah, see. It just appears. It's just like over, like on the other side of a mountain. The focal point is also the mountain in that shot, not yeah. the spell itself. So it's it's a little if you don't know it's coming, and then it looks strange. Yeah. I, I think I think they're counting on the reader to like to piece things together. Where you see Isidro leading his magicians to safety uh, atop uh, like a hill or mountain or whatever, then you see a spell being cast. And you're like, okay, they reach safety, then they cast the spells. And uh, as far as the skull light and guts go, it's like, well, these guys, uh, they're isolated on the island and they're like, guts is prostrated and the skull light is fighting, I guess. Uh, so while everything is crumbling, I, th- I think that's what people are supposed to get from this. Behind the skull knight and that shot we get of him, there's that effect. Yeah. It looks like, Anna, so it looks like when he uses the technique. That's what it looks like to me. That's why I say it could be that they forgot to add the buried goo. It could be. It's a weird shot, even if that's the case. Like, why are we even seeing the ooze if he's doing that? And it's, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. It could be. Mm. It could be like trying to show like the dimension is like ooze or honest. I. I've no. I don't know. I mean, I've already said everything. It's just it's a confusing shot. You yeah. don't know what he's really doing. Either way, it doesn't really make sense because uh, the, the ooze is actually not destroyed by him. One of the other bigger problems I had, in addition to the small detail, this is not a detail. The island is sinking, and I don't think they do an effective job of portraying that. Now, yes, I recognize that by the final shot, you see that the island has sunk, and it resembles a crescent or an arc in that yeah. point. I totally, I totally understand the sequence. What I, my point is... They didn't capitalize on the actual sense of an island sinking to me. You get these little vignettes, but this is a massive, cataclysmic thing that's happening. And someone mm. pointed it out in the thread quite rightly. Think about Albion. Think about that moment when the tower crumbles and those bodies are falling. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying, well, of course it's not Miura, but I'm saying, yeah, I recognize it's not Miura. But a couple more big ways to capitalize on this visually would have really lent it to the, the sense of destruction instead of what we get these little small shots you know yeah talking about what Mir would have done I feel like he would have shown a lot more of the elves reacting to their island sinking or like yeah. struggling to get to higher ground or or little moments of them failing to save like their family members or whatever like you know some some kind of sense of loss God. is yeah. not as profound as it needs to be in such a massive mm. moment 
Yeah, the human element, or in this case, uh, elven, elvish, elfin element, uh, is what would make the difference. And uh, like by the end, of course, we only show like uh, 10 elves or whatever, but it looks sure. like everybody's made it. Like everybody's just contemplating. You see, it looks very calm. Yeah, people are on your shore. It doesn't sound like there's been massive casualties. And you see on that white shot of the island, you see many small figures, mm-hmm. which seems to imply to me that people are Giants. all located all over the place. So it doesn't sound like anybody died, actually, from the cataclysm. Uh, at the same time, many of them aren't seen. For example, we don't see the dwarves getting out of the cave. Hanar is there. We don't know how he made it. Again, it's these kind of things where we could have seen. It's crumbling, but the dwarves are like using their, their powers to, you know, you know, create steel beams or stone pillars that hold up the stuff and they climb out. Vovaba's there. They do this kind of stuff. Tons of possibilities, tons of things that probably could have been used to fill the gaps. Again, we're, we're back to that, but. You could have used that or even scenes of the the geography being broken down, things falling apart, nameless elves flying to avoid the debris. That kind of stuff would have cost nothing. Yeah. Would have not gotten in the way of any of the narrative, but would have, uh, how to say, been poignant and hammered in the scale of the catastrophe, right? Which we don't we don't get. That's what I more mean. Why, but when I introduced this whole notion of the island sinking, like I recognize the island sunk. But it feels like it's a missed moment of capitalizing on that drama, that element of it, because I see that it happens, but I don't feel it. Now, the emotional right. resonance of this episode happens when Isma disappears. To me, that's a very emotional moment. Yeah, yeah. But to me, that's like that's like one well played card, and you missed the previous fifteen attempts. You know, it's like yeah. you nailed that, but what about everything else? You could have, I don't know. It just didn't hit me quite as hard as it needed to. Yeah, for sure. With a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> Dan being gone, that removes a lot of things from the table. Azil addressed this in his massive post. But uh, one of them, of course, is that Farnese was set up to inherit some of the skills that Dan had for healing mind, healing the mind. That's off the table now. That was something they mentioned never really. I don't know how she would pursue the source of that study mm. anymore, mm. for one. Anything that might have come up. Between her and Skull Knight or her explanations of the past, she will no longer be the one to deliver, even though it would have made sense for her to be part of those conversations. Uh, That's also off the map. Yeah. I mean, I I can't think of all of them, but her being gone really, to me, takes away a lot of possibilities. Now, I'm not saying authoritatively that she was not supposed to be removed now. My point is, when you introduce a character like Dan and it feels like you're going to do something big with her, and she did help bring Casca back. Help bring Casca back. She introduced the medium by which they brought Casca back. And that's, that's a huge fucking deal. Of course. Is that it though? Is that, is that why you introduced the the character for that? I feel like if, if Griff were here on the podcast with us, he would have said, maybe Dan and left some uh, binder full of notes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To try it out on the seahorse. Hopefully it's a little more comprehensive that uh, what Mira left to Maury. Yeah. (laughs) Talking about that, it's, it's a good point. But beyond that, for example, if you look at Serpico, he hasn't got his cloak, he hasn't got his sword. Is he just a regular guy again? He just he just knows a lot of flags. <laughs> he's uh, he's lost his equipment, so he's back to fighting with an oar or something. Mm. I don't know. It's just uh, yeah, lots of things where you're like, hmm. 
Was this planned or is this something they backed themselves into a corner about? Or is it just going to be next episode? Hey, by the way, look what I found. Look what floated up on the shore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, might, might honestly, might just end up like that with uh, Shoke being like, oh, I grabbed this while I fled from the treehouse. Oh, shit. Yeah, could, could very well be. And th- then why did he not wear his cloak mm. when he was coming back from like cleaning the dishes or whatever? He, he wore it actually at other times of the island. Mm-hmm. Do you know? He was lulled into a, f- a false sense of security. Yeah. Let's see. What else? I've talked a lot about the island sinking. We talked about the uh, the crew being washed up. Some of them are still in the water. Mm. It looked to me like they well, most of them were dead, but that's not actually the case. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of a lot of Roderick's crew uh, get saved by the barrels. We right. actually, when you see that white shot, there's so many of them. We don't actually see the, the seahorse. It's somewhere but, out there. I, pres- I presumed in that last crescent shot that it was just beyond to the left somewhere. Yeah, it must be uh, just out of the frame or something. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but yeah, lots of crates. Uh, and we see that even some of the magicians were also saved that way. Apparently, they're on the, on the shore. So yep. doesn't seem to be too many casualties. Again, it's that's that's also a thing. It's like... Huge calamities, the island is destroyed. It seems to happen rather fast, even though they have time to run away. So in the end, it's fast, but not that fast. And a bunch of time elapses, it seems so, at the end of page 7. But no casualty is really shown until the elves disappear. The Noors just disappear by themselves in the seawater. So it does feel... It's a very strange feeling where something momentous happened. And you know it's it's momentous. You know, you should feel momentous. But because of the way it's depicted, it's like, ah, okay, ah. Even for the elves, my reaction, I mean, it should have been like, what the fuck? Damn, it's huge. But I'm just like, ah. Yeah, uh, the gurus finally showed up. Volvaba showed up. Hanar's here so to save the day. <laughs> and we gave them this little... Little panel here. Uh, crunched them all in there. Like it's a school photo. They're all right next to each other, perfectly lined <laughs> up. No, Volvaba, you get in front. You're the shortest. Oh, okay. And goes up there in the front. <laughs> That's what it looks like. And they did nothing. They did absolutely nothing this entire time, as far as we know. Hey. They don't even look very upset. None of them do. No, the ones in the background in particular, they look like they were ripped straight from episode 345, mm. like yeah. the same expressions on their uh, face. What's going on? Huh? <laughs> what? What? It could be that their vision is not great anymore. They are old. One of them has like eyelashes over his face most of the time. So maybe he can't see. Isidro was right when he said it's like an old people's home where they were before. <laughs> it's, just, it's all senile, actually. Huh? <laughs> I can't hear. Hanar being there, I, well, if he sticks around, I mean, how, how did Zod get there? You know? Yeah. Just yet another thing where it's just like, ah, they didn't bother with explaining why. It's just... Honestly, just- no, no matter what happens with him, whether he just disappears off screen or whether he's somehow still there and it's just never explained. The way... I mean, it's just... He can't be... Like, you can't rationalize it as something that's not a, like a bad de- decision or a mistake because... He's reacting to Dalan disappearing with the others as if he's not concerned. He better be concerned. He should be glowing himself. That's the yeah. point. He's like not watching it like, whoa, damn. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Or maybe, like I said earlier, if they had done something where Danan goes first, then Isma starts glowing. And then 
Hunter also, yeah, then it would have been more sensible, but yeah, that's not what it did. How does it make sense? By the way, 369 ends with guts on the shore. It looks like close to the shore. It's hard yeah. to really say exactly how close he is to it. Uh, away from the action in any sense. Uh, and it's kind of like a settling scene. Like things have finally settled. The elves have disappeared. The island has sunk. It's settling down. How would it make sense in 370 for it to show Puck disappearing still? Like the pace of that would be fucked, right? It would be going back in time. It's been done before, rarely in Berserk, where you'll see some things and you go back a little bit to see, to show the same. Usually Mira would like go back and show the same scene happening from a different angle. They do it in uh, in 267 when Guts... You know, I think it ends the episode with Guts spearing Moscus, And then the next one, the first page that got cut, shows him coming down thinking before he hits Moscus. Yeah, exactly. So 167, my, sorry about good, that. Good memory, actually. I, I imagined in my head, and I'm not, again, I'm not a manga writer, but like, if you wanted to really capitalize on this moment of Puck disappearing, like Puck seeing that Guts was downcast and he races to be with him. Yeah. But he fades on the way to it, and Guts never even gets a chance to say goodbye or even see him disappear. That'd be heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. man. It doesn't make any sense, but I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, honestly, that's exactly what I thought, is mm-hmm. we'll see Puck flying above the island for some reason, looking for people, seeing Guts there, flying down, speeding towards him, being like, Guts! Guts! Yeah. And then we see just uh you know the bubbles of light or whatever the, the dust and guts doesn't even notice he's there or maybe he just like hmm? mm-hmm. he doesn't see anything and and that's that's the end of park yeah the best moment to play that card has already passed like that yeah. if they do it again if they try to reinvigorate that same energy they had three pages ago it just it would feel weird yeah the me. thing is you know but to to actually be properly effective to really like be a gut punch should have happened at the end of this episode where mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. there's a transition to guts is a perfect time to actually show that because we see it happen for other people on the island then we can go back in time a little bit we see it again for guts and that would have been like that would have been a great way to end this episode now I'll say though that like do we think Puck really disappears like forever? Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you asked, man. It's one of the things I haven't even really thought about. He's sad as shit. I mean, uh, beyond that, I mean, Puck is like a st- staple of the series. He's on the back of every volume. Not anymore. The Sidro naked is on the back now. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, he's been he's been there since volume one. He was also, like I said in my post, he was basically the alter ego of Mura uh, by by you know mm-hmm. by volume forty one. So I I can't I really 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 don't see how Puck could actually be gone forever. I mean, I'd honestly be like I would have to really be walked through the logic of that from Mura's perspective. Why would he do that? I I could understand. I could understand being like. Gus doesn't have Puck anymore, and let let's see how big of a deal that is. Yeah, and and, and then like Puck, uh, Gus is fighting something. He gets beaten up, and and he's like, "Fuck, I gotta tie my hand." He's, he keeps bleeding, and I'm like, "Oh my god, wish that guy were here," you know. So yeah, that could be interesting. But I don't know that he would need that though. We already know how essential Puck is. You know, sure, that would I only mean, exist to accentuate how vital he is, and, and I feel like we know that. 
Yeah, this would be more of a reminder because we saw we saw that in the Black Swordsman era, we saw that in the Lost Children chapter, uh, all of the ways that Puck actually uh, helped God and brought many things to him beyond even just uh, driving him away from despair. So yeah, uh, but yeah, beyond that, I'm just uh, I don't know. I really have a hard time seeing things that happen. To me, it would be like if God's wasn't the main character anymore if he died and like Isidro picked up the torch. Doesn't make sense for Berserk. Just in terms of the tone, it would be really jarring to not yeah. have that little voice yeah. perk- perking up all the time. It might be a thing where Maury is like, well, we can't write Puck. I can't do it because it was like Mira's soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm killing him off. I mean, Which would be like, didn't you say you weren't going to change stuff? <laughs> so didn't you guys say so? Right, right. Just, uh, it is a fundamental shift for what ma- the makeup of Berserk. Like, yeah. the makeup of Berserk is dark things happening, but light things balancing that. You know, just yeah. tonally, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's, that's been there since the beginning, the very, very, very beginning. Yeah, it's the thing is... Uh, Berserk is not like a super dark and, you know, pitch grim dark story. Some people say like that, but Berserk has never been that. Like dark shit happens, bad stuff happens, but the characters triumph and there's humor and there's good stuff. There's good people helping other, you know, it's not just bad and bad and bad and worse. When people think of that, I think it's like the first two volumes and then. Even so, man, I mean, you know, a lot of people talk about the early volumes, but they don't seem to have read them. It's yeah. The early volumes is Puck getting drunk in the wagon and saying, <laughs> Gus should open a teppanyaki shop with the <laughs> Dragon Slayer. I mean, that's that's the stuff. There is, and, and yeah, and, and Puck from the beginning plays that role, right? He's like, he's lightening the mood. And we see that also with the P Brothers when Gus arrives in Alpha and was like, this guy's too serious. Yeah, I love it. So mm-hmm. we got to make fun, fun of him guts. more. Yeah. And because that's the point, it's like countering his uh, overly serious composure and even he's like trying to be more bitter than he actually is, that kind of stuff. That's the whole point. And to me, that's a huge point of the series. That's what distinguishes it from uh, what I was talking about, like just grim dark stuff where it's like the whole appeal is it's a dark world where the good guys die in the end and there's actually no good guys, even the good guys are bad guys. It's like, okay, yeah, that's... I'm not sure that appeals to like four, 14 year old boys or something. It, it works it's, for the first book of the Black Company, and then I yeah. wouldn't say it worked for any other books. Yeah, exactly. Company, so. I mean, I I love that first book, but like you, like you know, I haven't. <laughs> Even the good right. guys are kind of fucked. <laughs> yeah, and it's it is it is a, a perilous exercise. In any case, yeah, Puck is essential to the story, so I I do like I have a hard time believing that's gonna be the case. Then again. Who knows? Who knows what's planned? Yeah, hard to say. Uh, it could be, it could be, like I mentioned earlier, elves are ethereal beings. Maybe they can come back. Maybe there's a way. Maybe the inherit. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, as far as that's concerned, I'm very, very curious to see how it's going to go because I, I would really be shocked if, like, Puck actually disappeared. And I mean, so, I'm not I'm not giving Eva a lot of due, but I like her too. <laughs> the Behirid is the only thing I reach for in terms of, like, a life preserver in the scenario. And I don't even, I, I can't even make sense of it. Or, like, Shirke was going to 
somehow make contact with Flora, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, but... There's something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's also a thing is like she's supposed to learn about diamonds, which Flora likely is one, obviously. That's, that's the whole implication of that and get kind of directly hints at it. She can still do that since uh, the great gurus are alive. But like I don't see really how like she could contact Danan that way. I mean that's mm. that's more of like summoning uh, somebody yeah. to help in battle or something like that. I don't know if she could and I don't know that she could bring them back. So the full scope of the series will we see Puck again? Yes, I, th- I think we would. Mm-hmm. But I do think he's gone as a companion for the regular events of the series. Uh, at least it sort of seems that way, unless something different, some other I mean, left turn happens yeah. in 370. I don't know. That would be like, that would be dark for real. Yeah. yeah that yeah. would be, that would be like really a big deal. Yeah. As far as a reader is concerned, to me, as big of a deal as Casca being, in fact, bigger of a deal than Casca's abduction. Right. I agree. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know. I don't know how you, how you resolve this if Puck stays. And now again, I say I'm just going to say the word "behirit" because it's a freaking X factor, and it's just a, a wrench in the gears overall for how things might go. I don't know how I would rationalize it without an explanation, though. Puck becomes a island-sized apostle, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the mm-hmm. island is saved. We can all live on his back. Makes sense go. to me. He takes them to the continent. Yeah. It might just be like it might just be inconsistent. It might just be well, he steals her. No real reason for, I mean, maybe... That's too much. That's too far. I mean... Too far for me, anyway. It could just be, honestly, it could just be his minds of Meros disappeared because Mori and Tim figured it would be a good point for Isma to, to go. But the others don't disappear because, well, it's just the island's inhabitants who were gone, and because Puck has been around guts, he managed to stay... <laughs> Puck, an original island inhabitant. Well, you're gone just because it's, uh, well, you were near that tall guy for so long. <laughs> yeah, you know, the problem is, since we, like, if you start taking into account the fact it might not make sense, yes, everything sure. becomes possible, so. That's what I mean by the Zod thing. The Zod yeah. should never have been there, or yeah. at least not in the way that they showed it, but they made it happen anyway, you know? Yeah, and he comes and just leaves, and it's like, he has, a, like, a five-seconds confrontation with Guts. Guts manages to go around him. For no reason, it doesn't make. And and I think I even forgot if Zod actually strikes back at him afterwards. I think he just he does not. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't exist. No. He has a ground just breaks up. It's yeah. It's really like nonsensical in a way. So I guess the story itself has become its own X factor. Mm. Yeah, I will say though, it will be really a big fucking deal if Puck is gone. Even if he's just like, it would be a big deal if he was gone for like a volume. Something's, you know, something's blocking else or whatever. But if he's like gone for good and uh, even if he's just, well, I still exist uh, far away from here, but now you won't see him anymore. It's like, damn, man. He may as well be dead, honestly, if they can do it that way. I can envision like as the world tree goes away or gets chopped down with a big axe or whatever, you know, elves come back into the world inexplicably. And yeah, that doesn't live, make sense. To a happy so ending, that, right? does, that doesn't make any sense. I know. Thing, I know it's inexplicable. The thing is, the world tree. So, yeah, some people have been confused about that. Maybe I'm confused about, about this. It. Help me out. So, yeah, people are like, well, you know, wouldn't destroying 
uh, spirit tree actually reinforces the presence of uh, astral beings, ethereal beings in the world? And you're like, yeah, because the way it's explained is forest of spirit trees, which is a specific term. It's like it's a forest of spirit trees. It's not just spirit trees, it's forest of spirit trees. Don't ask me why, I still don't understand why it's, it's like that. But in any case, these, in them, there's like these giant trees that act like parasite, acted like parasite on the world tree and prevented it from penetrating into the corporate world where humans are. And that's why the ethereal beings were not present anymore in that world because they were kept from coming there. So that's why you didn't have trolls around and that kind of stuff. And that's also why elsewhere had become very rare and Puck being in the world was kind of a nutty because uh, elves had become rare. And so, of course, with Fantasia, first we saw uh, a hint of the forest of spirit trees being destroyed because that's what happened at Flora. At first, you don't really understand. Skull Knight posits that Flora herself might have posed a threat. Then when they get to Elfem, the gurus revealed that actually most of these forest of spirit trees have been destroyed as a prelude to the confrontation with Ganishka where Fantasia was created. And then every... A lot of ethereal beings were brought back into the world, including elves, and including, of course, uh, members of the God Hand. And now the way it's shown in this episode is that because the three fell in the water, I mean, it's not even technically destroyed, it just fell into the sea. Uh, a tree presumably wouldn't die immediately from that, especially at that size, but whatever, it's dead. So, because that specific tree is gone, the elves disappear, apparently. And it seems to, since because the mirrors are also gone, it seems it impacts every elf in the world. So, yeah, very strange. And the thing is, that tree was a spirit tree, but it, not sure it was. No, it's not, sir. It's not an absolute, but it makes sense. It makes sense for it to have been also a yeah. parasite on the world tree, but it's not sure. It's not explained right. like that. It's not presented like that. And the word used for it is spirit tree, which, I mean, obviously it's a magic tree, huh, right? But it's not a forest of spirit trees like the ones who were overlooked by magicians and so on. So maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. In any case, it's different. It's a special tree that had a special thing. It's and a different I, tree. Yeah, and I mean, it just by the size and everything. So it's hard to reconcile it, I'm going to say. It's hard to reconcile. It's hard to explain why it happened. It's hard to explain. Again, it would have made sense for Danan to disappear. It would make sense. Every elf, even the Meros, hmm. Now I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm kind of. Because just to be clear, why it doesn't reconcile is because the world tree itself should be supporting the existence of the elves. Even if yeah. a little tree, a littler tree goes away, the world trees making, the world tree making fissures between the worlds supports the elves still being there. Yeah, I mean the like Puck didn't need to have a spirit tree nearby to mm-hmm. to be there when he was like a- anywhere. The Meros didn't need a tree when they went to water at the other side of the of the sea, right? So it's uh it's puzzling. And that's why I'm back to my assumption that every elf in the world was somehow able to manifest because of that tree, and since it's been destroyed, they're all gone. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see how it goes. We'll see. Maybe they'll be like, hey, I, I kept like, uh, one little offspring plant from that tree. And this little plant will be able to keep Puck 
in this world, right? That's cool. That's, That'd be cool, yeah. 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 But yeah, don't get too hopeful about it. We'll see. I mean, but yeah, it's just I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of stumped and honestly curious to see what's going on. I think the simplest thing is like, well, everybody's gone. Yeah. Now we are. It's like the the bottomest of the bottom, these pits of despair. And uh, how are they gonna get out of it? Well, you just wait until the next chapter opens. <laughs> I think it's okay to be stumped. We get stumped. Regularly, when we read Berserk, we can't solve something. I can't. I can't solve what happened to the previous four Godhead member, for example. And mm. mysteries lingering is okay. It's just that we were told the way the world works in one way, and then we see something that apparently contradicts it. And so the problem is, if it was Mir at the hand, I would have never questioned that we would get that explanation right. because he that's the way he does it. You know? Yeah. He, oh wow! I don't know how this works, but I'm sure I'm going to find out. But now. I have no faith that it will be properly explained. I don't know why I would believe. I would have probably gotten some inklings before that, too. It's Sure. Yeah, exactly. So explaining something special about the tree or hinting at something in the preceding episodes would have led to an expectation of when that tree collapses, I wonder what will happen. And then you see what happens. And then you're like, oh, that's, you know, but no seeds, no similar seeds were laid about what's mm-hmm. so special about this tree. So you have to just guess at it, which is not a comfortable place to be. Yeah, just like the deal with the Norse uh, and the fact they just dissipate yep. into nothingness after their job is done. And you're like, something was teased there, but it's not explained. We don't know how they came up. Like, again, there are some rules in the world. You do need an explanation for why something is breaking the rules, right? Mm-hmm. So. A main point of contention in the threads right now, some people do like this and some people, us included, don't don't like this. And so, like, how do you reconcile that if some people are able to derive enjoyment about it? Um, to me, it's like a, a level of focus. If, if your level of focus for reading Berserk is just like really quick, you see what's on the page and you enjoy it, like you could probably get some enjoyment about skating off the highs and lows of what's happening. Oh, no, the island got destroyed. Oh, no, the elves are gone. Guts is so sad. I like this episode. Mm-hmm. But, like, once you start lifting up the rocks and start questioning things, like, the deeper you go, the worse it gets. And so that's that's my problem is the way I approach Berserk, I do lift up every rock. That's part of how I enjoy it. It's just yeah. like how I eat a meal. I, like, savor every little bite, you know? I don't just, like, slop it up, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So that's, to me, that's creating some friction in the way, how you approach Berserk. You're going to have different results uh, and what you're enjoying. To me, that's, that's, that's how I unravel that. But it's also just if people have different tastes and different things that they want out of series. So Yeah, sure. If you just scan the stuff and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, this page with Ghost Looking Downcast. Oh, yeah, cool stuff. And then you move on. That was a big hit on Twitter. Yeah, sure. I mean... If that's, if that's your, is that the way you, you, you consume the series? And I guess you, but mm-hmm. at the same time, in that case, we're back to why, why do you care specifically about this and not any other series? And I feel like that in that kind of mindset, you just, like, that's really a content consumer perspective where you're just watching every series on Netflix, reading, uh, mm-hmm. 20, 20 manga series at the same time. <laughs> you just, you know, getting through. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the appeal of Berserk for us as uh, guys who analyze stuff like that is in the depth of the story, of the characters, of everything, the words, the way it's set up, the art, the, the paneling, the way the story flows. So yeah, when you start 
thinking and you, I mean, when you not start, but when you keep applying the same, uh, intense look and, and thought process, uh, as you did before, well, you, you find all these flows and ways that don't quite fit and omissions and so on. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, unavoidable, unfortunately. Yep. The other thing is we, we've, you've addressed it throughout this episode and the other episodes, but just to be clear, like, there are the events that happen in the page, and then there's all the things that we never got to see on, all the things that we missed out of in this particular depiction of this of this event. You know, all the other things you can imagine to me are more appetizing yeah. and make me more interested. But that's not what was presented to me. Um, and some people have been pleased with the result. Some people like what is already there on the page, but to me, it's just simply not enough. You know, quite simply. Yeah, one of the things I was about to say is, uh, so we talked about where the story would go from now on. And I, I'm, I'm not, I'm also just like, I'm not sure how they could reconcile just Puck being gone for good with like the way the story has been so far. I'm not, I don't know what Gus is going to do. Like after this, it's like, Casca has been taken, yeah. but he hasn't been able to do shit against Griffiths. Obviously, I would expect the Skull Knight to like offer some kind of advice or some clue or whatever, and maybe, maybe the gurus also. But then again, they haven't been doing anything, so yeah, like hard to say, right? But it feels very like it feels a very complicated situation to recover from, basically, mm-hmm. where no, yeah. no one's really been. Killed. I mean, except the elves, maybe, perhaps. But uh, Casca abducted. Like they're not like. Do we see gods barging in Falconia to rescue her? Because then that's like the end of the series, right there. Right? He's not gonna go in, take her, leave, then come back later and fight. I mean, it's it's uh, it would be super convoluted. So my my expectation is that she's going to get out rather than or maybe someone will go and help her but i don't see guts doing it himself i don't know what you guys think no that'd be it would be kind of crazy right if casca received no support at all until guts crossed the entire world you know yeah i don't know there's other opportunities other people that could help yeah i i just feel like it can't be Casca sitting in a tower waiting for Guts to save totally. her. And totally. and there's so much going on in Falconia that she can tap into and learn more about that I, I agree that she's going to have an active role to play mm. over there. Maybe... I really hope so. Maybe Shuriken Farnese could go and rescue her. And I don't know, the others are like living on the ship, <laughs> which is honestly kind of pathetic. Uh, hard to say. What about Guts? So Ged was able to project his ethereal body to see uh, around Val- Falconia, right? That's how he saw it himself. And he came back and had questions for guts about it. So he can project it that far, that distance. Could they do the same about Casca? Could Farnese and Shirke tap into that same kind of thing and mm. visit in on Casca to let him know what happened? Or is that feasible? No, I don't think so. I think they would have to, like, the way I see it, maybe... Shuruke and Farnese could like go to Casca through some like magical means through the three or whatever. The three or whatever, maybe like Guts would live with Skullite. Skullite is like, I'll take you 
somewhere, blah, blah. And then he uses his mm-hmm. sword technique and he takes him and the other are left like, what the fuck is going on? And they just leave by, by yeah. ship. Now that's, that's not perfect because Isidro and Serpico by themselves, Roderick. I mean, it's like, it's crazy actually. It's like the group split up four ways. Maybe five, if you expect to see as a perspective of like Pac from the afterworld, which would be again crazy and unlikely. And how do they get back together? Do they even get back together? Does what, what's going to happen? Hmm. No idea. Then again, if it's just like God, Shiruke, Farnese, everybody getting on the seahorse and being like, okay, let's go back to the continent by ship. Honestly, that's, that's very like, that's. Again, pathetic. Yeah. It's honestly, it's really pathetic. It's like, in the RV. Yeah, it's like, what a, what a shit end to their journey. They're, they're going back with less than they had. It's, it's a complete failure. Yeah. Uh, I would be, what's the word? Upset if I didn't point out that I was talking about the idea of Danon having created elves, but it's actually established already. Of course, we should have known, I should have known this. Volume 24. That they are the representations of the spirits of the wind. So, for example, the Piskis are spirits of the wind. So they are tied to the elements themselves, not just like a figment of Danon's, you know, imagination or whatever brought into existence. That being said, I think she still could have manifested them, uh, maybe. Just still clinging on to that idea. Mm-hmm. Are you sure the panel you're talking about, are you sure it's not talking about the, the sylphs? It's hard to say. It's hard to, it's hard to say because Puck and Evalira are the ones in that frame. I think Puck said uh, something like them being related somehow. Yeah, they're related. But I think in that specific one, they're talking about the sylphs. And Puck and Evalira mm. are like basking in them. You know, they're floating on them. But uh, yeah, because on the on the bubble before that, uh, Shirky is explaining about the like the four elements. Elementals. And she's like, these ones are like the... You know, the guys that feel the atmosphere or whatever. So I, I do think, and then Puck is like, hmm, so you guys are what I always float on. And that's when Ivarla drops the bomb on him that he's actually related. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's about, it's, it's specifically about the sylphs and not about elves. Still, I mean, mm, okay. elves do feel like something that's fundamentally like part of the world. So they're not an aberration. They are tied to a kind of hierarchy of astral beings. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, it's a huge speculation. I pulled off my, uh, out of my ass that they might've been created by, by the woman. It's not at all guaranteed might turn out to not be the case at all. And maybe all this stuff we mentioned about the mirrors and blah, blah, blah. It could just be, again, like I said, just some things that's not, that wasn't well sold out. And, sure. And we d- does. But what else do we have to cling to right yeah, now? Yeah. Nothing. I mean, yeah. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah. It's just, it, it is at least based on what we know from before and what we see on the page. So it's not based on, it's not yeah. baseless. But yeah, it could, it could turn out to not be the case at all. So. With the Casca thing, I, I meant more the idea of them being able to just just to speak to Casca, to see her, to co- maybe coordinate some action. They could, you know, astrally project no. and say, "Hey, uh, I mean, everything okay?" I mean, in, in <laughs> Shet, just think about this. In Shet, she had to use a, a bird because her body of light would have been put in proximity. Yeah. Way. When when Griffiths showed up in front of them, they had the maelstrom. Uh, mm-hmm. can you imagine them? First, I, I don't think, uh, Shiruke could project that far, even though she's, she's, you know, she's a prodigy, but that's really far away. 
But and even if she were like, you know, when when Rickert comes out of the forest with Raban and stuff, and they see the city from far away, I don't think even from that distance she could do it. I think that's that's too yeah. far from her. So, but yeah, even if she were there, I feel like it would be dangerous for her to go anywhere near like the castle. So mm. yeah, I don't I don't feel like, and in fact, it might also be like it's not a good idea for them to go. I don't know. I I do think Farnese would want to. Obviously, uh, but yeah, hard, hard to say. Is, is it even feasible? How would they do it? Can, can someone take them there? I mean, Shiroke doesn't know how to travel through the branches. They would have to fly high up in the sky to do it. Maybe, mm. you know, maybe they could go with Molda. Eh, just again, it feels very. Yeah, I'm not sure. By the way, we didn't talk about the shooting star. Oh, yeah. In the last page of 369, you see uh, a streak across the sky that kind of uh, traces the branches, but not really. Uh, it's it's obviously supposed to be Zod and Casca and Griffith flying away because it's similar to how it was presented in episode 331, title of the episode, Shooting mm-hmm. Star. Uh, when we see the boy going through the branches... Uh, but in that case, it was shown as going through the branches, which is consistent with how that travel works. So as we saw later, but in this one, the shooting star itself goes out of the branches, inside the branches. It's just in a in a similar arc, right? A quite a consistent arc, but the branch is an S yeah. pattern. The branch is twisted, so, and they just drew a straight line, which is which exactly. is exactly kind of like a dollar sign effect, mm. if you can imagine it, with the straight line being the streak. It should not have been done that way. And it also doesn't make any sense, as Azil pointed out, timing-wise. Because they, at this point, much time has elapsed. Uh, is that really how slow it travels? Yeah. I pictured it sort of being like the after image of a jet. Uh, you know, sure. like the... What's the, what's Sod passing back there? Yeah. What's that contrail? <laughs> he, he had some beans before he left, so... Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, we still, we, we do see like the head of it. So it can't even be like just a trail. Because we see like a, the little twinkle uh, that yeah. indicates he's still like it's flying again like a shooting star, so very fast. He doesn't leave like a long trail like a jet would. And I think they looked at how three thirty one went. There is a moment when you see him going through the branches directly, and then a longer shot of a shooting star. But that shot does not show the branches yeah. anymore. Uh, because yeah. so they looked at that and said, "Well, we can just do that. Just do that." And they didn't think about it being inconsistent with how the travel actually The difference with Shmura doing it smartly and them doing it not smartly. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, again... Like, does it break everything for me? No. It's just a... It's an inconsistency. And and as they start to pile up, you start to mistrust not just what you're seeing, but also what you expect to see. Mm. You know, it's just whenever... It's a loss of trust in, in what they do and how they do it. Yeah, especially since these things are not really hard to get right. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not... It doesn't take a genius to get it. We're not... I mean, I'd like to think I'm I'm a pretty good uh, Berserk scholar, but this stuff is not something that you need to have, like, studied the series to understand. It's pretty, like... You can obviously see it doesn't fit the branch... If they're traveling through the branch, it's supposed to stay inside the branch. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to get it. So it's, it's maybe, maybe it's just a matter of, oh, we, we don't have time. We'll fix it in post. We'll fix it uh, in the volume. <laughs> maybe it's just a matter of that. I don't know. But yeah, it, 
They could have just not showed it as well. They could have, yeah, they could have. And, you know, I mean, they could have just shown the, the branch being more like of an arc or being straight. I mean, a tree branch yeah. doesn't necessarily get all gnarly all the time. Always. It could have just been a straight branch. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's kind of a weird decision. Again, it's like, feels like a detail, a minor thing. But uh, like you said, they pile and pile and pile and pile. And then you've got a mountain uh, and, and you, you don't know... Don't really know quite what you should, you know, think about, uh, believe. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit frustrating. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about much, and I know we're already over time, but I still have a little bit of time. Do you guys have sure. time? Okay. Go ahead. Um, Isidro. You know, he and Isma were friends, pals. Mm. Uh, he's a teenager or close to a teenager at the very least, and she is similar. So, you know, there's some... A little bit of attraction there, but they're not in a relationship or anything. They're just, they're yeah. friends. They're compa- <laughs> companions of a similar age and they get along because they're a similar age, right? And they've had little misadventures in the past, but it's not like they were lovers or anything. Yeah. You know, no. They're just friends. So I would even say there's not really any actual sexual tension. Like you see that, yeah, when Isidro sees a cleavage, he's like, oh boy, boobies. Yeah. Because he's like 13 <laughs> or 14. But, that makes her special. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does the same with Molda. He did the same with mm-hmm. the prostitutes in Albion. So it's kind of an ongoing gag. Yeah, yeah. It's kind yeah. of an ongoing yeah, thing. Yeah. And Isma and him, like, they were, like you said, good pals, got along well. Uh, might have led to something or not, or not. And, and I, like, I re-emphasize all the or not part. And the way they did it is very, like, how to say... It, trying to be emotional, uh, and I'll let yeah. you go, Walter, because you were talking about it. So tell me, tell us all your feedback. Well, it's just not in keeping with their actual relationship. It's it's too heavy a card to play mm. for what how they actually felt about each other. It, the, to me, this would be appropriate for again lovers or someone in a true relationship. Or as Azil quite rightly pointed out in his long ass post, they could have had a moment back there when he was protecting her or something. And like Azil even wrote a little line like. Don't I don't I can't remember what it was. Well, exactly, like if we make out of this, you owe me one yeah. or you you know yeah something some kind of promise about yeah. the future even a small thing yeah. something to emphasize her being taken away the next episode it would have been a lethal weapon moment exactly. like I'm going to retire after this yeah exactly yeah. something something to make you really feel it right now and it just doesn't it's not there she's I think as far as like effective moments, like just singular moments, I, this works for me. I like the feeling of loss he has as he reaches out and she's not there anymore. That that works for me. But these two characters in particular, I don't think so, personally. I think it's a be- better done part of the episode to me. And yeah. I guess with Guts looking down Cass, because some people really seem to like that. And I mean, yeah, I mean, if Cass Cass taken away, Cass is going to be bummed out. Sure. I mean... Do, do, did we need to see the episode to, to know that? Not really, right? But so yeah, it's, it's well done. The problem is that they really hinged the, the whole thing on it. Like that's a big moment. And you're like, yeah. First, I think it's not a great end for Isma. I think like for her character generally, it feels like kind of a waste. And beyond mm-hmm. that, I mean, Dalan disappears almost pathetically, you know, compared to it. The others yep. as well. And like we said before, Puck and Ivarla, I guess we'll get their scene in, in the next one, but feels odd that they are not included here. Uh, I'm wondering how Isidro will react to this, you know? 
And I wonder if he wants to strike out on his own a little bit. And we joked about this in the thread that he's going to gear up like Arnold and commando and go out there and get <laughs> revenge. Right. But like, I'm thinking about ways that something that'll jolt guts back to reality a little bit. And I, I like the idea of a being filled with the same kind of revenge kind of mm. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then gut seeing that and being like, it's not how you need to go about it or something like that. I think that could be cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it could be at the same time. I mean, that's very like, again, does he just his appearance of Isma justify yeah. that? Does it warrant that? Probably not. Isidro also cares about Casca, right? And she's also taken. That's also something. And he, he cares yeah. about Puck. So it's. Yeah, but Puck's still around as far as. Yeah, we know. yeah, sure, sure. It's <laughs> just, uh, it's, it's, I ask it's, I'm curious and also very apprehensive about how everything is going to be handled from this point on. And yeah, me casting that idea out is more a matter of, I hope they do something with Isidro's character, given this little small moment. Maybe this was a moment of development for him yeah. uh, um, as he continues to grow. Yeah, it's possible, but, uh, it's possible that Mori has an idea of what Mira wanted to do with Isidro. Yeah. At the same time, I don't know. I I don't really, I don't know. I'm not super satisfied with, I mean, in fact, I'm not satisfied at all with how he's been handled so far. So I'm just, uh, yep. it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I keep thinking back also to the fact they must have had like a decent understanding of what was planned for like the end of the chapter, right? But after I think we're seeing yeah. it. I don't expect much more in the next uh, next episode. I really I really don't. My point is that's the part they probably knew the most about, right? Yeah. The next stuff is going to be like running on fumes. I mean, we know that Mira left some sketches and some notes. I'm guessing maybe like, you know, designs for Geyseric in the flashback for Void, that kind of stuff. Some maybe designs for what the capital city was like back in the day, these kind of things. I can't imagine it was super detailed. Like that's the kind of notes you leave to yourself on like names yeah. and, you know, armor designs, that kind of stuff. He didn't leave. It's not like he left some comprehensive thing in case he died and someone picked up. So it's going to be, I think, very like seg- fragmented, not clear, and with huge swaths of the story where Mori probably heard like, well, yeah, they're going to do this, maybe go in the forest, fight a dragon, blah, blah, blah. But like, will he know enough to do something co- coherent, uh, cohesive? It's, again, I'm very, very apprehensive about how it's going to go. We talked about it earlier, but I think when they agreed to do the continuation, I think they had enough material to draw a line from where we left off to the end. Yeah. That doesn't mean that that line is super deep. It doesn't mean they have rich information about each moment, Mm -hmm. but they are committing to telling the story bullet by bullet from one point to the other. But I do think it could lead to some very thin moments. Uh, I don't know how you construct an actual story in the way that they're doing. Once you start running out of material, like I I see the gears grinding at a certain point pretty soon. Uh, Unless, unless we're wrong about how much they know. know? Well, I I mean, it doesn't seem so, but uh, I, I do feel like we were talking, we were thinking, wondering earlier, uh, like how long will it go on? 
five volumes seems seems way way too long to me and i'm thinking mm. there's probably going to be a lot of shortening where it could be you know after this flashback casken falconia uh the heroes regroup and get going again meet up with maybe Rickert, Bakirka, whatever, then finale, right? And maybe yeah. a lot of things that will would have happened in between would just be like swept under the rug. Like I, I don't expect the magicians to play any big role until maybe the very final thing. And then again it would just be a token thing where they're like standing at the gates and like, ah, let's go. But uh, I feel like it's going to be to be probably quite streamlined, basically. And again, I mean when you look at back at the five episodes I've done so far, they do feel very streamlined also in, in many ways, in ways we understand and probably in also many ways we don't understand and can't understand because we don't really know like what Mira would have done differently, how he would have done things or, or not and how he would have changed also his ideas because that's the thing is that he, he had some talks with people. So they said, oh, would it be, would it, would it be interesting if I did this? How about this? But it's not like anything was final, right? And that's also something I keep thinking about is that just because he told Maury about some ideas he had doesn't mean he would have actually executed them exactly like that, right? That's something that keeps coming up in my mind as well. And just in terms of the rhythm of Mir's storytelling style, like looking back on other big events, like it's hard not to imagine like, oh, maybe this would have taken like a whole volume yeah. or or – been much more drawn out and much less kind of shocking and, and strangely uh, paced. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I was talking to Paula about it, uh, I think, yesterday, and she was saying well, it would have taken at least two volumes. And at first I was like, ah, probably not. And then I was like, yeah, you know what? Actually, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe 10 episodes. 10 episodes? What are you, sorry, what are you saying, 10 episodes? The entire, the rest of the no, series? No, no, just, no, no, no. I'm j- j- just the end of the chapter. Just like from, from 364. Oh, how much, how much time would be yeah, arrived? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. I'm messing Yeah, up. so, and it's. It is hard to say. Depends on. Yeah, he was just like, it's, it's, uh, we're getting to the end of it. But he was also saying... We, <laughs> that doesn't make much... That's, that's me you're yeah, talking, man. He was like, we'll see the gold hand soon. As that was 10 years ago. Yep. So... <laughs> I mean, I feel like we said it every single time. This, we've recorded a podcast, but like, what we're seeing are the bullets extended. Yeah. And there's not... They're, they're doing their best to extend the bullets, but maybe that was a mistake. They're spreading the butter on, and they've got very small amount of it, and they're spreading it on a very, very big piece of bread. And so, I mean, at some point, they're just scraping the knife, and there's nothing on it anymore. Mm-hmm. I do, I do feel like it would have been better. I mean, we said so ten times already uh, in, the, in previous podcasts. I do feel like it would have really been better to do a illustrated summary, even if it had just been, and you know. If more was like, well, it would have just been a page, and I'm like, just give me a page, and don't Jesus. try to. I don't remember. I don't remember that. No, no, part. he didn't say so exactly. But mm. the thing is, he was like, if I if I had done just an article, I couldn't have conveyed like guts and Griffiths lines. Yeah, Come it's on. that's dude. What you have guts saying here is not. It's not guts. Yeah, it's not what guts would say in this moment. Straight up, he the thing I thought at the time, and I still think so, is that if he knows. Like the only lines he can know between Gus and Griffiths 
as a, like the final exchange. Sure. That I, I'll put money behind. Yeah, that's the only thing he can know because that's the kind of stuff Mira would have told him, uh, you know, way back then. And like, when it happens, Gus will say this, Griffiths will say this, it will be like that. And and that's something you can think of like, yeah, maybe even 20 years later, 25 years later, he's still like, that's still what he would have done. The rest, no way he could know because it's just, it's too much stuff. Yeah, it's because they're incidental moments. He wouldn't have necessarily just detailed every dialogue moment. Yep. Yep. Sure. I know we got to go, guys, but you know what? I just realized it really helps me absorb this episode is, is I'm I'm using my arrow keys and I'm spending about one second on each page. And it actually works pretty well. It's like a flip book kind of thing. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I, I, yeah, I get it, get it, get it. Yeah, it's a pretty mean, good episode. Streamlined reading yeah. for a streamlined manga. I'm feeling it that's, now. That's all the- I like it. I like this uh, this this little flip book. Just don't don't stop. <laughs> don't stop and look, whatever you do. You know, it's back to what Paula said. If you think of it as like an extensive, maybe overextensive illustration for bullet points, it works like that. It's like, okay, yeah. It's just uh, little illustrations like in a children's book around a single sentence. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. I mean, it is literally what it is. It's more is saying, well, the island crumbles. And then uh, Danan and the elf disappear, and people are like, mm, okay, okay. And Gus looks sad. Based on a bullet by Kentaro Mira. Yeah. Based yeah. on something Mira told him <laughs> on the phone. When you asked, oh, so what are you planning to do? Well, uh, the island will break up, and, uh, and then I guess the elves will disappear. Okay, okay. Yeah. I guess that's our episode. Thanks for sticking with us this long, a little bit over time than normal. But uh, we made it. And next episode, we'll be back to wrap up the chapter of Elf Island. And then what happens to Puck? I want to know. Yeah, we'll find out about Puck. You'll you'll hear our tone as soon as we start the podcast. Uh, uh, where that lands, I'm eager to know. Although I think I already know, uh, and I don't want to know what happens. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for everything. If you have not checked out our Patreon yet, it is at Patreon.com/sknet. You can join there for as little as three dollars or five dollars or all the way to ten dollars if you want. Varying levels of rewards for that. Uh, including translations, updates on kanji, uh, important terms about Berserk, along with miscellaneous updates about rare merchandise, all sorts of awesome stuff in there uh, regularly, weekly, bi-weekly, twice-weekly. What is your actual schedule? Yeah, Do you have a schedule? Week- weekly is, is good. I, I did yeah. twice a week for a while, but it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of work, so weekly, weekly it is, is good. And- to be clear, all the money on that Patreon does not go to Aziel or myself. It goes to Puella, who is our official translator for all things Berserk and Kentaro Miura. So look to that, patreon.com slash sknet, if you have not already. Good stuff. Oh, yeah. We love it. That's it, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. We'll be back next month with more Skullcast. All right. Slap them up. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>